All right, good morning. I appreciate the opportunity to be here, be able to bring the message to you this morning. And uh, it's just a joy. I've been here a number of times before as I came out to visit Mom Nelson, and then, of course, with her uh, homegoing and memorial service yesterday. Um, I don't feel like a stranger here. I know many of you by, by face, if not by name, and I appreciate the opportunity. Uh, looking forward to bringing the word. Let's turn, if we would, please. Um, we will start off in the book of Ruth. We're going to go all over the place. I will be reading from the King James this morning, so if you have a Bible app or whatever, um, if that's not what's up on top, move it to that one. It might be a little easier to keep up with on your iPad or your, or your phone, or just keep up uh, as it goes. The book of Ruth is an interesting book. I always refer to it as the last chapter of Judges. Because it is during the time of the judges, there was no king in Israel. Everybody was doing what was right in their own eyes. It has helped me over the years. As a little backstory for those of you who may not know me, um, Jeannie and I, uh, Carolyn's daughter, uh, we run the Anchorage camp down in Lake Waccamaw, North Carolina. I have done so for 42 years, starting my 43rd year in June. And so I have been around young people all my life. And um, everybody asked, they said, uh, you know, around all these young people, don't you want to be young again? And I always say, yes, I would love that energy, but I'm not sure I want to be that unlearned. <laughs> you should say, I want to go back and experience all those things again. So it's been a challenge, and I love doing it. We've seen many, many, many thousands and thousands over the years uh, that the Lord has used camping ministry, the word of his word preached and taught and then uh, applied personally to change lives. It's been a joy to be in one place for a long time. We're coming up celebrating our 50th anniversary as a camp this year in, uh, at the end of August, and I'm looking forward to many people coming back and, and telling, me, telling us how the Lord has used the camp in their lives and their families for years, three generations now, basically. Uh, grandkids of kids that I remember coming to camp back in the day, grandkids are coming to camp now. Now I feel old. I feel really, really old. It's always an interesting byline when somebody walks up to you in a mall or some random place. Mr. David, do you remember me? And I'm looking at a strapping you know, man of some sort. I'm going, if you were nine, I probably would, but right now i got nothing. <laughs> you know, <laughs> People age. But it's been a joy. And it's been a joy teaching the Word. And I've had to, to be in a position where I answer a lot of questions. Uh, parents, youth pastors, pastors. Um, I'm kind of a sounding board for them, and they feel safe and they ask questions. And many people are, are very concerned, I'm sure most of us here are, very concerned with generational uh, uh, transitions as we go from church into families into whatever else. And is the Word of God having the same effect on a new generation and how they're applying it? Are they, are they embracing the faith that, uh, that we believe and we, we know it's true because Scripture says it is true. So I run into this question all the time. How do you do that? How do you transition from one generation to another to make disciples, as the Great Commission talks about, you therefore teach all nations, make disciples of the nations? How is that done? And so I, I have purposed in my heart in recent years to kind of study and kind of understand that. I have a little basic outline I always use when I go to the Scripture. I believe every word of this book. I'll be honest with you. There's not anything here that's there by accident. I believe it. It's true. It has always been true. It is true now. It will always be true. 
This is how we got our life. When it talks about this is so, this is, this is right, it's right. When it says it's wrong, it's wrong. When it says this is the way you apply it, that's what you do. But it doesn't apply that truth. It doesn't communicate that truth in the exact same way all the way through Scripture. It's all true. But we all understand you know, there's doctrine, there's the teaching, those things that you need to know that, you need to, know to believe correctly. The, scripture is full of doctrine. All that information that you need to know to make sure that you're believing what is true correctly. And we go through it in, in, in class, you know, and, and in Sunday school classes and in churches and in, in schools, seminaries, whatever else. We're emphasized doctrine. It's very important. But it also there is communicated by command. When I say command, probably most of us, our mind just skipped right immediately to the Ten Commandments. I am the Lord thy God which brought thee out of the land of Egypt. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. That's a command. It's not necessarily teaching you about God. It's just saying, don't have one, a God before me. Thou shalt not make a graven image. Don't do that either. It's a command. And then it's communicating by principle. If this, then this. Probably one of the most uh, recognizable principles is the principle of sowing and reaping over in Galatians. Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. If he sows to the wind, he shall reap the whirlwind. That's a principle. It's true. But it's not the same as a doctrine. It's not the same Communica uh, communicated in truth as a command is. It's a principle. And you can apply that all the way through. But it also communicates truth by precedent. One of the great precedents of, of Scripture. Jesus teaches it. Talking about marriage over in Mark chapter 10. When he says, you know, what about, is it lawful to, to divorce, I guess, would be the best way, word to use it. He says, from the beginning was not so. God made them male and female. That was a precedent. It's not uh, uh, he's saying, here's what he did. This reason, man shall leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife. That was it. It was the precedent that was set. And it's equal truth. And then it's also done by illustration. And a lot of what we're looking at is referenced over in, actually, actually over in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. These things were done for our example or as an illustration. But what we look at a lot of times in the Old Testament is an illustration of truth that is given in a different format in the New Testament or later in the Old Testament. Ruth is one of those, I think. Here we have Ruth, the uh, Jewish uh, lady, uh, I mean, not Jewish, the Moabitess, but uh, Naomi, her mother-in-law, leaving the land of promise during a time of famine, during a time of judgment, if we understand the time of the judges correctly, and she's fleeing to a place of cursing. Moab was a cursed place fleeing to a, a place of cursing to find food. And she and her husband and her, and her two sons, they flee into the land of Moab. Her husband dies. Her sons marry uh, Moabites, Moabitish women. And they pass away. We don't know how, how long after they got married they passed away, but evidently there were no children involved in either marriage. It's certainly not mentioned here. And then about 10 years later, Naomi and two daughters-in-law... Orpah and Ruth, they're coming back to the land because Ruth has heard there's bread back in the land. They were, they were starving in, in Israel. They moved to Moab. They faced hardship in Moab. Now they're going back to the land of, of Israel, not in belief, not in obedience, but going back because they heard there was bread there. In fact, when she gets back, she says, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara, bitter, for the Lord dealt bitterly with me. 
But then as she comes up, we, we realize that there's quite a, um, uh, a um, to-do as they're getting back to the, to, the, to the land. Verse 11. And Naomi said, Turn again, my daughters. Why will ye go with me? Are there yet any more sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? This is a very pragmatic response. Again, you see, the, uh, in, in a sense, and it's a whole different message, we're not going there, but you see, in a sense, the disbelief of Naomi because she's just approaching this very pragmatically. If you follow me back in the land, it's not going to be any better for you. You stay here, go home, your husbands are dead, no children are involved, find a new husband, function here in the land, I'm going back where I came from. And if, if, if you were to follow me, I'm not going to have any more children. There's not going to be anybody for you to marry there. So this is a done deal. Very pragmatic, very logical, very reasonable, but somewhat wrongheaded. Verse 12, turn ye again, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, if I should say I have a husband also tonight, and should also bear you sons, would you tarry for them till they were grown? Would you stay for them from having husbands? Nay, my daughters, for it grieveth me much for your sake that the hand of the Lord is gone out against me. And they lifted up their voice and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clave unto her. And she said, Behold, thy sister-in-law has gone back unto her people. Now, Naomi's talking directly to Ruth here. And unto her gods, Return thou after thy sister-in-law. And Ruth said, as we've already read this morning, Entreat me not to leave thee, nor to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go. Whither thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. Where thou diest, will I die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if aught but death part thee and me. And when she saw that she was steadfastly minded to go with her, then she left speaking unto her. I want to talk this morning for the time that we have left, I want to talk this morning about making disciples. Now that seems a weird segue from the book of Ruth to talking about one of the most important discussions that Christ had on earth. We all are recognizing, I think, if we have any knowledge at all about Scripture, that the New Testament, the first four books, the Gospels, are largely made up of Christ coming into the world, becoming a, a, a teacher, basically around age 30, give or take a little bit, and calling disciples to follow him. Some of the most important stories that we have of uh, the Savior are as he is calling disciples. Peter and James, fishermen, John and Andrew, fishermen, Matthew, the uh, uh, tax collector, Judas Iscariot, who wound up betraying him, and on and on and on. And all these followed him. And they, they left what they were doing. They followed him for those three, three and a half years, forsook him at the cross for the time being, and then took the gospel into all the world upon the resurrection of Jesus Christ and is commissioning them to go and to teach all nations and then the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And then we have the book of Acts. And it is the, it is the record of the disciples of Jesus Christ uh, making impact on the world even today. It changed the whole course of history and what they did. And disciples, his commission as he left, go ye therefore to all his people, to his church, was make disciples of the nations, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son, 
and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatever I've commanded you, and although I'm with you always. That is our concern as individuals, as parents in here. We're celebrating Mother's Day today. I doubt there's any mother that has a child that does not want that child to grow up and be successful and do what's right. They're not there teaching and going, listen, what I want you to do is just, you know, figure out your own way, do what's wrong, it doesn't matter. No mother's sitting around there on their mother's knee. They don't do that. I want you to do what's right. And we as believers and followers of Jesus Christ, we're consumed with the idea, I want this next generation to also be a follower of Jesus Christ. And so a discipling, discipleship is huge. It's a big catchword in our society today, especially in the evangelical worlds. Uh, in our evangelical world. We have the idea of discipleship. I mean, you go on any website. You have the pastor of the church. You have the discipleship pastor. You have discipleship groups. You have discipleship plans. You have discipleship programs. You have all these things, very worthy things, all positive. But what does it mean? And that's the question I've had to ask myself as I've been dealing with pastors and youth pastors and parents of, of, of young people for years now, what does it mean to be a disciple? What does it look like? And that's kind of what I want us to explore today. The questions that come before me, what is a disciple of Jesus Christ? What are, his feature, what are his or her features? And how do you make disciples? Or how do you ensure discipleship in the next generation are very common. I think it's important to go back to what, understanding what a disciple is. The basic meaning of the word disciple is a follower. Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 20. We see that put into practice first. It says this, And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother. Verse 19. And he said unto them, Follow me. And then in verse 20, And straightway they left their nets and followed him. It's our tendency as human beings to take the simplicity of Scripture and make it very difficult. A disciple. What does it mean to be a disciple? Well, you, you're saved. You're baptized. You're in a church. You read your Bible every day. You pray. You attend the assembly. You do. And we come up with this whole list of things. And we programize it. We try to get people into, here's what you need for step one of discipleship. Here's what you need of step two of discipleship. Here's what you need to step through discipleship, and then you're a full disciple and that kind of stuff. It's human nature. It's what we do. Especially those of us in the Western world where business and success are, are, are huge elements in our thinking. We want to programize things. How do we determine success? What are the marks of success? Here is the, here's the simple definition of a disciple right here. Follow me. And they left their nets and followed him. A disciple is a follower, plain in sense. Now, what do we know from Scripture about that follower? There's a lot of things. Christ refers to them often uh, in Scripture. We see, first of all, over in Matthew chapter 10, and I've been trying to, uh, if you want to follow along in your, in your Bible, I've been trying to put these in the order that we can present it in so that we can uh, just flip pages. But in Matthew chapter 10, we see this. The disciple, verse 24, the disciple is not above his master, nor the servant above his Lord. It is enough for the disciple that he be as his master and the servant as his Lord. 
In other words, the simple way of understanding this is a disciple, a follower, is satisfied being submissive. We spend an awful lot of our time in our business and educational and, and even church climates of training leadership. We want to build leadership. We want to build successful leaders. How do you do that? And that's important. Leadership is an important aspect, but only as is tempered with the idea of I'm satisfied being submissive to following the Savior. I don't need to get a, be, be above. I'm satisfied being submissive. Christ is obviously the perfect example of this. When you think of Christ going to the cross, one phrase ought to come to your mind. Not my will, but thine. Satisfied with being submissive. And that's when the first characteristic that we just see of a disciple, a follower. A second characteristic, just a few pages down, if you're looking, Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. And it says this, Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, and take up his cross, and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. And whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. Now we can get lost in, the, in, in how this is written if we try hard, so let's simplify it a little bit. A disciple denies himself finding fulfillment or his life in the life of another. It is that simple. It's not about me. It's about who I'm following. As a follower of Jesus Christ, what difference does it make where he takes me? I'm a follower. You find that illustrated with Peter and John at the end of the book of John. Where Christ has called Peter back to himself. Feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. And then he tells Peter, he says, there's going to come a day. If you're going to follow me, there's going to come a day that you're going to go where you don't want to go. And you're going to do what you don't want to do. And it says, signifying what death we should, he should glorify God. In other words, Peter understood he was going to be martyred. Probably crucified, but he was. And he turns around and says, well, what about John? And Christ says, it doesn't matter. Follow thou me. Satisfied, finds their fulfillment in the life of another. Illustrated, many places, but given here as a picture. Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 27. This is difficult, especially as we celebrate Mother's Day today. And there went great multitudes with him, verse 25. And he turned and said unto them, If any man come after me, and hate not his father and his mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And you say, wow. What does it mean to deny? All it means is to be a follower. Wherever that one you're following takes you, that's where it goes. A disciple is committed more strongly to the one he follows than even to family. There's something that's big, stronger ties to them than family. More, desires, more strong to them than their business or their desire or whatever other desire. They're followers. Simple. Not hard to understand. Even supersedes other ties that are, that are important. Luke chapter 14, verse 33. Same chapter, a couple of verses down. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, 
he cannot be my disciple. A follower, a disciple, has no material ties that keep him from following. It's a tremendous, the older we get, the more stuff we accumulate around us. We're in the process of moving. We're not moving far, we're moving about 30 feet across the ditch. We call it a creek, but it's not, it's a ditch. And moving, and once, you realize, once you've been moving from a place, we moved in there the day that my son, oldest son was born. He's 40 years old, so we've been in that house for 40 years. We're moving across that. Those of you who've had the opportunity to move, you realize you accumulate stuff. And you realize this stuff is important. You haven't seen it in 10 years. But it's important to us. Do I want to get rid of my stuff? What about this? I can't do this. I can't give this up. And, and sooner or later, you have to come to grips with the fact, I don't need it. I don't want it. It's not as important as I thought it was. And here, Christ codifies it for us. He says this, Whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath. There's no stuff that is more important than following the Savior, a disciple. John chapter 8, verse 31. Then said Jesus to those Jews who believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then ye are ye my disciples indeed. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. If you, skip, if you look back at John chapter 2, verse 22, it would say the same thing. When therefore he was risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said unto them, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. And here we have another characteristic of a disciple. A disciple believes the word. I purposely started off this talking with you saying, I believe this book. I want you to know that's where I'm coming from. If, if, if I, I want, anytime I get up and have the opportunity to preach or teach or, or discuss truth in any manner, I want everybody to know that I believe this book. I believe the word. Why? Because I'm a follower of the one that wrote it. That's, the, that's who I'm going to be. I believe this, and I continue in it, and I want to continue in it, and that's a characteristic of a disciple. I believe God's word. You're my disciple believed. If you continue in my word, if you believe, and they believe the scriptures, a disciple believes the word. And then the last one we see over in John chapter 15, verse 7. John chapter 15, verse 7. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, and ye shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit. So shall ye be my disciples. As the Father hath loved me, so I have loved you. Continue ye in my love. A disciple abides, he sticks, continues with the one that's being followed. The gospel record is full of those that followed Christ, but then when hardship came and things happened, they turned around and they left. In fact, when so many of them left at one time, when remember Christ talking about turning to his 12, and he said, are you going to leave also? Is that what's going to, is this going to be yours? And of course, Peter gives that great confession. Where should we go? You're the one that has the words of life. And we see that example, that characteristic of a disciple. And we understand that it's a continuing process, an abiding process. 
that in good times and bad times and thick times and thin times and times of joy and times of, of sorrow that we're followers. Now, I've said all that to say this. It's important to me to understand exactly what that looks like. I got these principles. I got this picture of what a disciple is, a follower, and all these things that, that are characteristics of that follower and what, what they're willing to do and not willing to do. I understand. What does it look like? How can I take this and put it in my mind so that I can see it in action and say, okay, this is a follower? And that's where we go back to the book of Ruth. The title of this message is an inspired illustration of an obedient disciple. It dawned on me one day when I was reading this, and probably in some kind of study where I'm reading a little bit in the Old Testament, reading a little bit in the New Testament, it dawned on me that Ruth is a tremendous picture, a tremendous illustration of what a disciple looks like. Let's go back to verse 16. Ruth chapter 1, verse 16. And Ruth said... Entreat me not to leave thee or to return from following after thee. For what? I'll follow you. Where you go, I'll go. Where you lodge, I'll lodge. Your people will be my people. Your God, my God. Where thou diest, will I die, and there will I be buried. And the Lord do so to me, and more also, if aught but death part thee and me. It's a very simple statement. Understanding the backstory here, Naomi is practically begging Orpah and Ruth to go back to their people, not follow her. She was taking baggage back to Israel because, in her opinion, God had dealt hard, hard with her. She says it twice. Don't call me Ruth. I mean, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mary. I'm bitter. Land of the Lord's gone out against me. She talks, even in this, we read it earlier in the passage, the Lord has dealt harshly with me. Don't follow me. I don't, I don't need any more baggage. She's practically begging Naomi and Orpah, go back. Here's the plan. Find a husband. Set up a household. Find peace and happiness here in the land of cursing, Moab. Go here. And Orpah, though there's great love there, no question about it, Orpah full of tears, kisses her, walks away back. But Ruth says, no, I will follow. I'm following the place, and there's no real hope of relief from my plight now. You got nothing, Naomi. The hand of the Lord has gone out against you, but you're going back to a place that you left because you were starving. We don't know anything that's going back, but I'm going to follow you. And it illustrates a tremendous picture. It is publicly declared and practiced. And Ruth said it out loud. I'll follow you. I'm going to go. Verse, verse 16. That, by the way, corresponds very well to what we understand about being a becoming a follower of Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 10 says what? Thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus... Believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the mouth, with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's a, almost an exact picture here. So it's publicly declared. And it begins with a very specific decision. 
Entreat me not to leave thee or to return from following after thee. And then she says what she's going to do. It begins a very specific decision. One of the things I've come to realize, again, trying to simplify uh, life, one of the things I've come to realize is that permanent change at any level of life has two components, almost exclusively. I'm not sure I can find any exceptions. Certainly in the spiritual life it has two components, and that's this. It's a decision that is followed up with discipline. You make up your mind to do it, you follow up with discipline to do it. Probably a great example of that is uh, losing weight. We've all had that choice sometime in our life, usually around January 1st. We make this thing, I'm going to lose some weight, I'm going to join the gym, I'm going to do this. I have a decision. But by January the 15th, it has not been followed up with discipline. And it has been now languishing. And now, some months later, we are still the same fluffy selves that we were January the 1st. Or, more likely, we will go through and not, never make a decision, and therefore the discipline is a moot point. I was joking with my wife, because I've seen it over and over again. We were talking about closets in the house that we're about to move into. I was like, I don't need a closet. Just give me a piece of exercise equipment to put in the bedroom, and I'll hang my clothes on it. I got all the accoutrements. I got all the knowledge, all the accountability, but because there's been no decision. My degree in college was in physical education, health, and health sciences. I know how to lose weight. I promise you. You need to lose weight, I can come up with a weight loss plan for you. I could come up with a weight loss plan for me. I won't lose weight purposely. I like myself. Fluffy. And even though I have all the knowledge and all the information that I need to lose weight, the discipline, if we want to use it that term, I have never made a decision to do it, and therefore it's not going to happen. And so what we're looking at here in, in, in changing life at any point in, in time, particularly in our spiritual life, is the decision. I will follow Christ. Followed up by the discipline, what we might call the discipleship of following. Those characteristics that we looked at. Here we have Ruth. Made up my mind. Here's what I'm going to do. I've said it publicly. Here's my specifics. I will follow you. And its primary reference is being a follower. Where you go, I will go. Her choice is to abide. We talked about that as being a characteristic of a disciple. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Her identity changes. Your people will be my people. Her belief changes. Your God, my God. She will continue ad infinitum. Where you die, I will die. And probably most important, what is the thing that is said about a disciple that continues in his work? continues, follows, abides. She says, and there will I be buried, and the Lord do so to me, and more also, if all but death part thee and me. She said, this extends even past death. Being buried in a place, going home to be buried, is huge in most cultures. Ours is included. It was huge in the Jewish culture. Joseph, 400 years after he died, he had given command concerning his bones to be what? Taken back to Israel. It's going. Going back to the homeland. And here Ruth is specifically saying, listen, this is an irrevocable decision that I have made. I am following you, Ruth. You go, I'll go there. You stay, I'll stay there. Your people, 
they're my people now. I got nothing here in Moab. Your God, my God. I got nothing with the, with the idols of Moab. I'll die where you die. And not only that, but my identity will be here forever. I'll be buried where you're buried. Nobody's going to go back to Moab and try to find out where Ruth's grave is. It's forever. It's a tremendous illustration of being a follower. We have the characteristics for following Christ in the New Testament. We have the illustration for being a follower here in the Old Testament. Let's put them together and ask ourselves the questions everyone has to face. Am I a disciple of Jesus Christ? Are the characteristics that make a disciple my characteristics? And am I living a life that is illustrated by the life of Ruth of being a follower of Jesus Christ? Where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. I'll die where you die. I'll be with you wherever you go, and my decision is irrevocable. It will not change, come what may. Let's pray. The Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you've given us this illustration of Ruth and following Naomi to Israel, a land she didn't know anything about. Lord, we thank you that you have called us to be your disciples with all the promises that come of being disciples, but understanding there's hardship. You've given us the characteristics that we can judge by. Lord, help us to be like Ruth in following as we follow you. An irrevocable, complete commitment, disregarding all but you. And Lord, may we communicate it well to a generation to follow. They too might be followers of you until you return or you take us home. And we love you today, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.